This is 105.9 The Region with your stories. The good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is good to hear. 105.9 The Region, this is indeed good news, but it's news that really needs some explanation to it. Our very own York University is moving up in the world rankings in creating a sustainable and inclusive world, now ranking in the world's top 35. So who better to explain this than the president of York University, Rhonda Letton? Hi, Rhonda. Hi, yes. Okay, so it, 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 it does need some explanation, but it is indeed some very good news and something I'm sure you're very proud of. So what are the Times Higher Education Impact Rankings? Because these are the rankings we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the, the Times Higher Education Impact Rankings evaluate how universities around the world are meeting the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And they consider many factors, research, equity, stewardship, teaching, outreach, and so forth. Okay. And and, and again, we, we have to remind people, this is for the United Nations. This is not just the top universities in Canada. We're, we're talking about the world, right, Rhonda? We are, yes. And, you know, it, it's quite an um, involved process because universities do have to provide a great deal of data. You know, York University has always prided itself and it's embedded in our vision that we are a university that has a commitment to giving a broad demographic of students access to a research-intensive, high-quality university committed to driving positive change. We've always had that focus on our impact. And this is what exactly what we feel the time is higher education impact rankings do is that they look not just at the inputs, but they're looking at what impact you're actually having in addressing some of the world's most complex problems. Okay, so let's get down to the nitty-gritty. How does York University rank compared to other schools both here and around the world? Yeah, well, we are actually very proud of our position, especially given the improvement um, that we've been seeing year over year after more and more universities um, are entering the actual impact rankings. This year, 1,406 universities from around the world um, were part of the ranking, and we moved up 34 spots from last year. So we are now ranking 33 in the world, and that is the highest ranked, we are the highest ranked university in the GTA, and we're in the top three Ontario universities. And that's quite a move, too. Yeah, we're very happy with that move. <laughs> um, so are the rankings broken down into, obviously they are, so what are the categories that the rankings are broken down into? Yeah, I mean, they, the uh, the categories align with the 17 different UN SDGs. And just to give you some examples um, in terms of where York did really well, one of the, in one way or another, all of the rankings deal with different components of sustainability. And that, you know, includes, of course, issues around climate change, equity, diversity, and inclusion, access to education, and so forth. And um, York ranks in the top 10 worldwide in the category of sustainable, contributing to sustainable cities and communities. We ranked also in the top 10 globally in contributing to peace um, and strong institutions. And um, most perhaps um, notable, York ranks number one in Canada and 21st in the world in terms of um, impact on gender equality. 
And when we, we hear the word sustainability, you know, our immediate thing is to think of environmental sustainability, but it's not just about environmental sustainability, is it? No, not at all. I mean, if you look carefully at the rankings and if you think really about, you know, what creates sustainable societies, um, equity is a very important component of that, access to, um, uh, you know, education to create equal opportunity, addressing inequities, climate change. These are all components of sustainability. And, and you know, as I said, I think that this aligns really well with Europe's values, the committing to equity, sustainability, social justice are really embedded in our university academic plan. And I, you know, I think I just want to mention a really important piece of this is around working in partnership. I think that what York does incredibly well is to work with our local and also global partners and how to really bring together the kinds of resources that are help you intensify the impact that you're having. We have um, you know, a very strong relationship with Vaughan, the city of Vaughan, and the development of our healthcare center precinct there and our aspirations for a new school of medicine. Uh, we have been working with Markham on our new Markham campus, really addressing the needs of the industries and around technology, entrepreneurship. We've got the first UN CFAL training center, which is um, a training center that brings together local practitioners with government, with university researchers to work together on addressing issues like emergency and disaster management. So it's a very kind of comprehensive way of thinking about how you're driving inclusive, sustainable world. And, and you mentioned the Markham campus, and we're all really excited about that uh, opening, uh, I think it's September 2023, if I'm not mistaken. And now we're, we're hoping to open it in fall. Of, um, we're hoping to open it in early um January, early 2024. Okay, okay. But we're all very, very excited about that. And so also to hear that it will have um, a UN component to it. Yes, this is where we really want to establish the um, the CFL, the training center. And, you know, one of the factors that attracted um, the attention of the UN about York University was the work that we had been doing with not only Markham, but with the municipalities in York region. And, you know, it's one of the fastest growing regions in all of Canada. A very, very high number of newcomers, but overall growing 18 to 24-year-olds and very diverse communities. And so they, they were recognizing how we were working with these partners, the municipalities in York region, to address the needs of the socioeconomic needs of the region, but also how we were preparing to make sure to meet the future talent needs of York region generally, but Ontario um, and Canada as well. And so we applied um, you know, to the UN. They approved, uh, there's about three dozen UN training centers that are referred to as CFL around the world, but this is the very first in Canada, and over the next numbers of years, they'll be located at Markham, and it's going to allow us to take a real leadership role in working with local, provincial, and federal government, practitioners, as well as education and research of York University on how we can solve issues around economic development, 
equity issues, emergency and disaster management issues, such as the pandemic. So this will be a very exciting institute that will be in the Markham campus. It's exciting for another reason, too, because I, I, things have changed. Uh, everything we do, the way we work, the way we live, and now even the way we learn, everything changed over the pandemic. We're in a whole new uncharted world. So this all comes at a very, very good time as we kind of rethink learning. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, you know, we saw that within a very short period of time, universities necessarily had to make a transition, not only to online education, but all of the services that we deliver had to be delivered as well in uh, you know, virtual ways. We had to think about how we could do globalization. How could we expose students to international experiences virtually using augmented reality or global network courses through partnership? So everything really has changed. And what we want to be sure about when we hopefully get past um, at least thinking about COVID-19 as a pandemic and and learning to live with COVID perhaps more as an endemic, we don't necessarily want to take all the lessons that we've learned and what the needs are going to be for higher education. I think you're going to see increasingly that we're going to retain a certain percentage of that online education. It helps increase the flexibility for different kinds of students. And we're going to be doing an increasingly uh, large amount of hands-on learning. But we also saw how society relies on universities for the research that we produce. And so we'll we'll definitely be taking those lessons learned. And I think the CFL training center is exactly reflective of the kinds of ways you want to bring together and work with partners across sectors to deal with some of these complex problems. And, and again, that CFL uh, Center will be in the new Markham campus. Uh, how can people learn more about the rankings and also about the work being done to meet the development goals? Yeah, one of the best ways to find out what we're up to, of course, is always to check our websites. And we have websites and we're going to be putting up, um, we have a sustainability website that's accessible to the general public where people can come and find out everything that we're doing in terms of strengthening our impact on the SDGs. We've got a Markham website uh, that people can reach out to with links for both phone and email if they want to find out what's happening with the progress on the Markham campus. Or also, if they're interested in the work that we're undertaking with Vaughn on the Vaughn Healthcare Center precinct, our plans for a school of medicine, the websites, I think, are the best way to uh, to get the contacts and uh, the emails, and we're, we will definitely respond. All right. President of York University, Rhonda Linton, thank you so much for this time. It's indeed good to hear. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Good to hear. We'll be right back on 105.9 The Region. Listen live at 1059theregion.com or 105.9 FM. This is 1059 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is Good to Hear. I'm Shalee Zabakis. Our next story on Good to Hear will make you so Crowd. I am joined by Nicolina Botso, and we're just going to call you a York Region legend. That's hey. what we're going to call you. Nicolina. <laughs> is that the title? I think it is. I think it is. I uh, literally, it. I just keep saying, start it from the bottom. Now you hear. Yeah. 
Quite literally. (laughs) All right. In case you haven't been keeping up with the times, Nicolina is from right here in York Region. She's from Vaughn and she is competing on American Idol. She's made it to the top seven. Nicolina, congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. Amazing. And okay, I need to talk about this for a moment, okay? You have a career in Broadway, in musical theater, because you absolutely killed that Disney performance. I've watched it like 15 times already. Longing to be thinner, that one wants to get the girl. And do I help them? Yes, indeed. Now it's happened once or twice. Yes, Nicolina channeling your inner Ursula. In case you're not familiar with the song, this is Nicolina singing Poor Unfortunate Souls from the movie The Little Mermaid. And you were definitely channeling who I would call one of my favorite Disney villains. Oh my gosh, thank you. I am so, so obsessed. Much. Like, I don't know if you if you knew this about me, but I'm like a total Disney nut. So I live for all that stuff. And you just embodied Ursula. It was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I love music theater and like Broadway and the whole thing. And that's definitely where a lot of my, I guess my training came from before Idol, just like mm-hmm. doing musicals and kind of that music. So I feel like Disney night was right up my alley. Yes. And I kind of... I got to use that um, <laughs> that side of myself. So, so you do have a musical theater uh, experience? Yes, yeah. I, I, I'd actually say I have more performance with musical oh. theater than I do with like pop okay. music. Okay, like, so if yeah. The Little Mermaid ever comes to Broadway, we know who to cast as Ursula. Y'all have my number, let me Yes, know. I just, I, I can't get there. over it. I literally can't get over it. Just the purple, the the glam, I was so obsessed with it. I really was. Well, thank you. It was super fun. And uh, tell me now, flash forwarding a little bit, we're not going to live in the past. What are you singing for the top seven competition? I actually like to keep it a surprise. That's something I do. So I usually drop hints here and there. So the hint, we're singing two songs for this next coming show. So the hint for the first song is that it has been the most heavily requested song for me (gasps) on social media and just like all over the world, all over the place. Maybe. Okay, see, Maybe. You You'll see. have to wait and see. <laughs> you have to wait and see. It's definitely a powerhouse ballad. Okay, I'll give you yes, that. right up your alley, which you're so <laughs> I mean, amazingly my, skilled at. Yes, thank you. Um, but yeah, so that first one, heavily requested powerhouse ballad. That's two hints now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is actually a song that not a lot of people know, but it's going to be very emotional and very healing, I think, mm. to hear. Okay, we're here for that. I feel like your voice just has that power. You're great with the healing songs and with the power ballads. Everything is just right up your alley. Nicolina will be competing on Sunday night to make it into American Idol's top five. And we have no doubt at all that she can do it. I got to leave you with this one more time. Another clip of her singing Poor Unfortunate Souls. Take a gulp and take a breath. Go ahead and sign the scroll. Flotsam Jetsam, now I've got a voice. The boss is on a roll. You poor unfortunate soul. Don't forget to catch Nicolina on American Idol this Sunday and make sure you vote for her. I'm Shaliza Backus, and this has definitely been good to hear. 
good to hear. This is the good news. Now, as a new market resident, I'm aware of this because my neighbor across the road has a, a chicken coop with some chickens, and I never hear them. And it's really kind of cool. And it's great to hear that Georgina is improve, approved a backyard chicken program, a pilot program for two years to look into people having chickens in their own property. To talk more about it, I was always thrilled to be joined by the mayor of Georgina, Margaret Quirk. Margaret, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. I was excited to hear this story because I'm in, our neighbors across the road have a coop with about four or five chickens. We never hear them. Uh, yeah. and that's, they, that's good, and that's, that's yeah. the goal. I mean, um, we did run a, a pilot project the last uh, couple of years, and uh, I think there was maybe one complaint that came in that uh, Balas went out and, and investigated, and there really wasn't a, an issue because we put in, uh, you know, different regulations. Not every property will be able to, to host a, a chicken coop, because let's face it, if you live in a, a townhouse with a very <laughs> small backyard or an apartment or you know, a, a situation where you just don't have the right setbacks, it's just not going to work because we know there can be, you know, odors and smells. So we we limited it to uh, to four hens only, no roosters to, mm. to wake you up bright and early in the morning. And we're trying to, um, we put in um, uh, separation distances between properties with uh, chicken coops as well. So just trying to, to put in the regulations that, that uh, allow people to to uh, to have the the, uh, the hens, but also don't disrupt the uh, the neighbors. Before you undertook the pilot program to get where you are now, Margaret, was there inquiries from citizens saying, "Hey, oh, oh, we yeah. would like Over to the do years, this"? We've had people request, and there was one um, where there was a, a resident that uh, somebody had complained about um, her chickens, and the way the bylaw read, we you know didn't allow them, so she had to. Uh, remove her chickens, and she did come to council at the time uh, and made a deputation, and that started the uh, the ball rolling on, on this. And uh, certainly during the pandemic, uh, people uh, like having local food choices and local uh, options for their food, and with a lot of kids at home, it was an opportunity for parents to teach their children about where your food comes from. We only had um, uh, 12 uh, it licenses issues because you do through the, the pilot project mm-hmm. you do have to go through uh, an application process and we encourage um, people there's um, we did have a, a sort of a well, it was virtual because of pandemic an education session where people were told the ins and outs of what the re- what the requirements would be and a lot of people maybe don't understand that chickens isn't, isn't the same as just having a cat or a dog this is a much different process so um, we um and uh, provide resources from Ministry of Agriculture and Food and Rural Affairs on best practices and information that uh, on the care of uh, of chickens. So uh, we provided that, and we had the uh, the twelve um, go through the the pilot project, and then just recently we've. Uh, Changed our, our bylaws and licensing process to uh, to allow that. So there is a, a hundred dollars um, license fee, and that is just to cover the costs of staff, um, you know, doing the inspection, you know, doing the paperwork. But you know what's interesting is it does give us the ability to reach out to uh, people with the uh, urban hens because I know some people are concerned about the uh, avian flu that uh, is is. Uh, out there with a number of the, the chicken mm-hmm. processors and, and operators and the concern about, you know, the urban hens um, doing that, having that, that flu and spreading that. And this way, because we all know that 
that there were a number of people that had backyard chickens in the past, and there probably still are those that don't have a license that, that you know, have the backyard hens. Um, so this way we were able to reach out to, to the license holders and give them information from um, the, the provincial government about uh, best practices, about avian flu. So we were able to provide them directly with that information, whereas if we didn't have you know, that licensing program, we, we don't know who has uh, the backyard hens. And, and some properties are already able to, to, if you're in a rural zone, you're already able to, uh, to have, uh, have chickens, hens. Um, but it's, it's, these are the urban, in the urban areas. So it did give us the ability to reach out to, to people and, and give that, that information because we knew who they are. Get more details at georgina.ca or you can email clerks at georgina.ca to look for a license application. Now, you alluded to it earlier through the pandemic, and my wife and I, we found a lot of friends and family more the same, uh, getting more in touch with local produce in Georgina, in York region, who really were concerned about the whole farm to table and maybe we can grow it ourselves and raise it ourselves. And I think there's more appetite for this now than ever before, Margaret. Oh, I agree, and, and we have a number of uh, farm producers that have farm gate sales, farm markets, and, and we do have a, uh, a field-to-table event where uh, some of those farmers uh, showcase their, uh, their operations and their, their products in, in, a, in a tour, a self-guided tour where people can go out and they can talk to the organic farmer, they can talk to the, the people that grow flowers, they can talk to, uh, you know, a beef producer. So it, it, it does make it more personal where you, if you know the person that's raising your, your, your food, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good because then you know that, that it uh, hasn't gone through as many hands as, as uh, other times. And with supply chain issues and concern about, you know, uh, local food and, and just knowing that it's, it's how it's raised, who's raising it, if you're concerned about organic, if you're concerned about pesticides or, you know, different chemicals being used, you can talk to the farmer and find out uh, what they do and, and how their, their product is, uh, is raised. So it's a, it's a great opportunity. And what I find interesting about this, about the urban hens, is Georgina has grown so much in the last five or six years, but it's still retaining that rural background, the foundation that has sort of made it what it is. And it's a nice balance between the two. Oh, yeah. And, and we still have many, you know, uh, small farms, large farms, uh, people in, in the rural areas. We do have the growth areas in, in Keswick and Sutton and, and certainly Peffalaw as well. Uh, with urban areas, but uh, we're still very much rural, and, and we're that great mixture. You can come up, and if you, I always say, you know, if you're looking to, to relocate to, to Georgina, you've, you've got so many choices in terms of uh, uh, lakeside living, uh, beside a river, in an urban area, in a new subdivision, in an older subdivision, you know, out in the rural countryside. You've got great options, and it's a, it's a great community with a great, uh, great feel of, of uh, community and, and neighbor-helping neighbor. And now Urban Hens. Get all the details, georgina.ca. Email clerks at georgina.ca. As always, a pleasure. Margaret Kirk, the mayor of the uh, Georgina town. Uh, it's always awesome to speak to you about this. I think this is a great initiative for Georgina and the citizens. Thank you so much, as always. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Send us your good news stories at info at 1059theregion.com. This is good to hear.